Hello and welcome to Inside Maine. This is Angus King and we've got a broadcast today where we're talking about volunteerism. It's a great time of the year. It's the Christmas and holiday season. People are thinking about giving back and contributing to their communities. And volunteerism is important this time of year, but year-round as well. And it's a big part of life here in Maine. So our first guest is Mary Alice Crofton, who's an old friend of mine, Mary Alice, we go back to, I think, 1995 when you started working. Tell us about what you're doing now on the whole issue of volunteerism. You're the executive director of Maine Commission for Community Service. Give us a feel for what that's all about. So there are two categories of things that the commission does. The first one is we work with all the national service programs in the state of Maine, so AmeriCorps and foster grandparents, senior companions, and the retired senior volunteer program. And then the second thing that we do is to work with organizations that either have volunteers and want to increase the engagement of people in their work or organizations that would like to get volunteers involved in what they're doing as a way to kind of extend their reach and extend their impact. And so we have training programs, we do some consulting with folks, a wide range of things, but from one end of the state to the other. Well, and you and I saw each other most recently, I think in October, up in Orono, and there was a Blaine House Conference on Service and Volunteerism. Great people from all over the state. That's an annual event, isn't it? It is, and it has been going on since actually before the commission, but we have been managing it for the last few years, and we use it as an opportunity for two things. One is to bring in national thought leaders, folks who have their finger on emerging issues and approaches in the volunteer world, and then secondly, for folks in Maine who didn't expect to be in charge of volunteer workforces, but found themselves in that position when they were in charge of an estuary or a food pantry or something like that and need some basic human resource management training so that they know how best to take care of and give the most support to the volunteers who are helping them. So it's basically Um, upgrading skills and management background and making the volunteerism more effective. It is because most people don't realize that really strong volunteer engagement has some essential business practices behind it. It is a workforce People are donating, of course, their time when they're volunteering, but there is still the need for people to be clear about what they're supposed to be doing, feel that they've got the skills, provide the service that the agency's expecting at a quality that will assist whoever it is who's coming in for assistance or help. So all of those pieces are there. And for a long time, we've only focused on the manager of volunteers. But in the last two years, we have also come across a program that we've brought to Maine from Points of Light Foundation and California Volunteers, my counterparts in California. And it helps organizations really change how they operate so that the volunteer manager can leave, but the organization doesn't lose the expertise around engaging people in their work. So service enterprises is a big new piece of what we're doing. Could you put a number on the number of people in Maine who volunteer at some time or another for Little League coaching or Meals on Wheels or any of those kinds of things? It must be in the thousands. It's actually 
Yes, many thousands. I don't know if you know that Maine was ranked as number nine in the rate of volunteering in the report that was issued in November. I did not know that. That's fantastic. Yes, we're in the top ten, and that's because almost 39% of the residents in the state are volunteers, and that's 425,346 people. Wow. I didn't expect a precise answer to that question. That's <laughs> that's fantastic. But, you know, it underlines the fact that so many of our community organizations literally couldn't function without volunteers. I mean, if you had to pay all those 400,000 people, it's not possible. It's not, because it's $947 million worth of contributed labor goes into operating the local library, all of those boat inspection and invasive species removal, and all of the outreach around tax preparation. I mean, volunteering, I like to say, is ubiquitous because it is everywhere you look in municipal, county, state, public organizations, and in all the nonprofits all over the place. Now, here's a hard question. Who gets more out of the volunteering, the volunteer or the agency that's getting the services? If it's done well, both get. There's an equivalency in it, I guess is what I'd want to say, because the organization, for every dollar's worth of effort it puts into running a really good volunteer program, getting the right people, delivering the services well and everything else, it's going to get $6 in contributed value back. On the volunteer side, it's about being engaged in your community, that feeling you get from knowing that you're contributing to the solution of a problem, and interfacing with either people or things, depending on what your gig is, and accomplishing something. So it is, uh, it's a both. And, it's and, not one over the other. And often the benefits go beyond just the the actual action that goes on, but it's more intangible. For example, I know that Meals on Wheels drivers are often primary interfaces and, and uh, interpersonal relationships for rural elderly who otherwise don't see anybody. They, the, the Meals on Wheel person is providing friendship as well as a meal, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And some of them are even attached to the Aristic RSVP program or some of the other programs around the state are also trained to, to sort of check, you know, is this person looking okay? Does it look like they've eaten their food for the week, not just the meal I brought them? So it's almost kind of a wellness check. So there, there are dimensions beyond the actual task that people bring to bear. Mentoring is another one that has long, long-term effects if mentoring is, is done well and supported well. And, I, and the same is true for the many things, the literacy, the financial literacy training that volunteers do, all that sort of stuff. It's hard to tell what the lifelong impact is on the person who receives service, but as from the community perspective, having that labor there to provide these touch points for people and bring people together who might not ordinarily cross paths makes the community stronger, too. Well, you sort of started in this business doing Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is one of the most direct kind of life-changing experiences. I mean, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. That is true. That's true. I spent 15 years in that, and that was after I'd spent a good deal of time with 4-H in another state. And the mentoring, I know folks who used to be little brothers and little sisters who are still in touch with their mentors, and I know mentors who still know where their 
little brothers and sisters are, even though those folks are 30s in their 30s and 40s. That's amazing. Now, given your experience, you've now been in the position that you're in almost 25 years. Have you seen any changes in the way volunteerism works in Maine? Are there more people doing it? Are there more uh, seniors engaged? I mean, anything changed in that time? I'd say there are two things that have changed. One is that volunteers are being asked to do work that is more skilled. And there are opportunities for people to bring the either their fresh out of college training, book learning into a real life experience, or they're able to take what they've developed over a lifetime and apply it. I was at a health clinic in York County where we had physicians who were volunteering. Talk about bringing uh-huh. skills to the table. There's a terrific example. Sure. And, then, you know, the, the Maine Volunteer Lawyers Project has been around for a long time in the state. I'd say the second thing that is changing is that the folks, the generation, the two generations that were known for volunteering sort of being part of their part of their blood are moving from that point where they are volunteers to folks who are needing service. And so in some parts of the state, there is a real struggle to get sufficient volunteers in younger generations, because folks aren't there, to keep the, keep the programs and services going. But one of the interesting things is that we know if they can figure out in those areas how to bring some folks in who are in a younger generation to do some volunteering, that sets down roots in a community and causes people to, to stay, actually. Now, people listening, uh, somebody saying, well, I, you know, I've thought about volunteering, I just, but I don't know how to get started or who to call. How would somebody make that kind of connection? Is there a statewide clearinghouse? Is there a website? Should they call their local library? Okay, put yourself in the position of a listener who wants to volunteer but doesn't know where to go. What's, what's your advice? So my advice is go to volunteermain.org and then select off the menu at the top of the page the search for an opportunity. We do have a statewide platform that is supported by all the United Ways across the state, and we link into it, and organizations can list their openings. There's all kinds of information about when, where, how, who to call, et cetera, and so folks can surf and learn. Um, you know, after dinner or whenever they feel like. So give, give us the website again. VolunteerMaine.org. All one word, VolunteerMaine.org, and that's the place to go to find opportunities. Can they find opportunities geographically? Can they find things in their town, or how does that work? Yes and yes. So I think the first thing it will show folks is an opportunity to say, you know, what end of the state are you in? And it will connect them into a database that has things that are only right around them. You know, in a little bit of time left, we, of course, had the passing of George H.W. Bush several weeks ago, and he was really a champion of this, the Thousand Points of Light. I think you already mentioned that foundation. And especially here in Maine, and Barbara Bush at the Children's Hospital in, in Maine Med, they were they were good role models on this front. They were. And all of the work that President Bush did around the first commission on national community service that led to the national service programs and, and the support of volunteering and understanding of what it needs really caused a shift in how things in the volunteer world have gone forward in the last few years. That's been something that's definitely a legacy of President Bush that's, that's uh, going to continue. I mentioned at the beginning the holiday season. 
There are extra volunteer opportunities uh, during the holiday season, and I guess the same advice if you want to get involved, check out volunteermain.org. Or, of course, if it's a holiday-related, call your synagogue or church and see what they're doing for the holidays. Absolutely. There's so many things that communities come together because families are together and they want to do something that really keeps them connected and cements and strengthens their ties with each other in their community. Yeah, there's lots of opportunities right now. Well, Mary Alice, I just want to thank you for not only your good work, but your persistence. As I mentioned at the beginning, you and I began our association, let's see, 24 years ago, 1995, and you were a constant presence in our work in Augusta and are continuing to do so. So thank you for what you've done and for the work that you're doing and continuing to do. And keep in touch with us. Let us all know what we can do because Maine is a big, small town and caring about each other and working with each other and contributing in this way is definitely part of who we are. Thanks, Mary Alice. All right, we're in the midst of Inside Maine. We're talking about volunteerism, opportunities in the state, how to take advantage of those opportunities, how to make a difference in someone else's life. One of the questions I asked Mary Alice Crofton was, who gets more out of it, the recipient of the services or the volunteer? And she said, it's a toss-up because it's a very rewarding thing to do. And so we want to encourage you to take advantage of these opportunities. And now I want to talk to Rick Dorian, who's the director of Maine Children's Home for Little Wanderers, which goes back to 1899, one of the oldest nonprofits in Maine, still serving Maine people, particularly in the central Maine area. Rick, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And share with me first a little bit of the history. What a great name of the organization, the Maine Home for Little Wanderers. Tell us how it started, what the original mission was, and what you're doing these days. Well, we started back in 1899 in Augusta, Maine, and it really came to be there were some concerned people in Augusta that saw many kids that were on the streets and didn't have enough to eat, didn't have safe homes, and really there was a lot of concern how to care for them and make sure they were going to be safe. And so some people organized a friends group to basically provide some shelter and food and care for the young people of Augusta that were without adequate food and shelter. And that grew from a few children to a couple of dozen children. And they grew from one facility to a larger and larger orphanage in the city of Augusta. And it grew to a point where by the mid-1930s, they had to decide to build a really large institution or to really help those young people to connect with uh, what we call forever families. And so throughout the early beginning, it was the genesis of what is now social work and adoption work. And we have carried that through even today. We are one of the oldest and largest adoption providers in the state of Maine, doing both international and domestic adoption work. And and we've kind of grown to continue the social work. We have a large counseling program now. We also have a teen parent school program supporting pregnant or parenting teen youth to finish their high school education, to get some quality early care for their children while they're going to school. And we provide a variety of wraparound supports to help them to be the most successful. We've got an early care center on our campus where we support 
children from six weeks old to the age of five when they start off for kindergarten. And we also have a summer camp scholarship program that supports about 100 kids each summer to go to summer camps in the area. But the program I really want to kind of focus on today is our Christmas program, and we are in the fever push to finish packing up and helping families to pick up over 1,800 boxes for families and children across the whole state of Maine. And each of those boxes contains a new set of clothes, two hats, two scarves, two mittens. Many have boots. Many have coats, new pajamas, family board game, a couple of books, a small toy and a large toy, and and a few other small things. And so really, sometimes people ask us about the Christmas boxes, what it really means. For the average child, this is really some essential things that really reminds each of these kids that people care about them. And we are so deeply fortunate because it's really driven by volunteers. You mentioned mittens. I read somewhere along the way that there's a lady in Maine, and she may work with you or maybe with Mary Alice, I can't remember, who knits a pair of mittens every day of the year. Absolutely. And I happened to be here with a group last October, October 2017, on Columbus Day. And it was kind of a quiet shutdown day, and most of the campus was off for the holiday. And the Subaru wagon pulls up, and this lady and her husband had driven up from Providence, Rhode Island. And they said, well, we're looking for the Christmas program. And I said, well, you found it. How can I help you? And she said, well, I have eight plastic tubs in my car full of mittens for your Christmas program. And And they drove up here just for the day to make sure they came in October so we'd have plenty of mittens to start off for packing the boxes for the Christmas season. That's a wonderful, that's a wonderful story. Even if they were coming from Rhode Island, we'll give them credit for (laughs) bringing those mittens to Maine. Absolutely. And we receive boxes from all over the country, people that are knitting scarves or hats or mittens, that grandmas all over that just really are committed to helping make sure Maine kids have good warm mittens and good warm hats. And the rule of thumb here is there's always, each child gets two pair. So when one is wet, they can have a dry pair to wear and the other pair will be drying out for the next day. Well, I was talking with Mary Alice. How much of your work is facilitated through volunteers? I mean, clearly you have professionals, you have counselors, you have adoption people, but I presume that a lot of the work, a lot of your progress is made through volunteers across the state. Absolutely. We couldn't do a fraction of the work we do without very committed, caring volunteers. And for us, I think we figured this year we're going to have at least 325 official volunteers that have signed up, that have been screened, that are logging in volunteer hours, particularly for our Christmas program. And I was trying to list out all the different tasks that really take place. And that's everything from preparing gift tags that we share throughout the community, So people take the gift tags, they go shop for pajamas or hats or boots or whatever we might need or be running low on. And we have folks that receive the donations that take inventory of everything. They sort things. We've got staging areas to prepare for packing of the boxes. It's a a logistics challenge. it, It really is. And, you know, we've gotten some really great guidance over the years from the Maine Commission for Community Service, because literally we have to line up at least uh, 160 volunteers just for the Christmas program. Well, well, and and you mentioned 1,800 families, and sadly, I think, you know, a lot of us, we don't realize how much need there is out there. You go to a place like the Good Shepherd Food Bank, and you realize that in a land of plenty, there are still people who are hungry, and there are kids that don't have mittens and, and hats, and and I'm sure that you could probably serve 1,800 times three or four or five if you had the, the means. Absolutely. 
But I, I would say, I've been telling people for weeks, if you want to get your spirit on, come hang out in our Christmas program for an hour or two, because it really, it is such an amazing place of hope that people come and they give of themselves, they donate, they shop, they pack, they sort. And the beautiful part is we have an online application process. So we might know, okay, this is for a seven-year-old boy from Van Buren. This is his size. These are his favorite colors. These are his interests. So we can pull the clothing that fits his size. We pack toys or books that fit his interest and his age level. And so each of these volunteers, they put great care into packing a box like it's for their own child or grandchild. And so when those families come to pick up those boxes, it's really a pretty magical thing. It's going to mean a lot to that kid that he's cared for. Somebody's out there thinking about it. And so the other part of that that is the most heartwarming to me is so many of our volunteers are people who were helped themselves. People who maybe they were parents and they were Oh, these are people that work. have been helped by the program and now they're turning around and giving back. Exactly. Because our Christmas program has been running for over 60 years, and I meet people, many people every day that tell me their story of, you know, how they were out of work and they couldn't take care of their three kids. And so the Christmas program showed up with three boxes for their kids so that their kids had a warm and safe and wonderful Christmas, and they were committed when they got back on their feet, they were going to come help others. And that happens every day, all day long here, that people that either were helped as children or parents that needed a little hand at a time, at a difficult time. You know, it reminds me, like, you go to most any small country store here in Maine, there's always a jug on the counter for somebody that needs a little help. Mm-hmm. And so this is just like that. You know, we have people every day that say, I can't do much, but I want to do my part, and I want to make sure every kid gets to have a great Christmas and knows that people care about them and wants to make sure they're warm and they're safe and they get some good stuff. Well, in this context, I always say that nothing like this happens without partners. And you have all kinds of partners, right? Oh, absolutely. I believe Mary Alice had mentioned the local United Way, and so they are a significant partner for us to line up and recruit for volunteers. We have many different service groups in the greater Waterville area that helps to shop or helps to volunteer or donates funds because they know the multiplier of what their donations do to help kids locally and and all across the state. It's really pretty incredible. And also there's some foundations, right? New Balance and Soupforth Tree Festival, Thomas College, I think. The student athletes at Thomas College, I understand, volunteer. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and one of the other great things here is that we have a lot of businesses and groups that come in as teams to volunteer because it really is an incredible situation that people get to pitch in and help. But we couldn't do nearly the depth and breadth of what we do without the support we receive from New Balance. And the Sukhfor Family Foundation has just been very committed and a great partner. And another great example, we have a UPS guy that, you know, he's delivering packages every day of the week. And last week he came in and he said, look, you know, I was telling people about the Christmas program. And so we took 50 gift tags. So I've got a truck full of stuff out there. Can somebody give me a hand? And so all these folks from UPS showed up, and they they saw the packages coming in and said, you know, we want to get behind this, and we want to be part of this. And uh, it's, it's a bit contagious, and people know that 
you know, this isn't about us trying to build a bigger organization, but this is about us trying to multiply the caring and the help all across the state. And you're seeing volunteers, young people, and I think especially it's important for young people to get the idea that life isn't just taking. There is something about giving, whether it's financially or of your time. And I I suspect when you see the young people do that, you see a change in them. Absolutely. And we have a number of families that come in together and the younger kids are very committed and, and passionate about making sure all kids have a great Christmas. And many times a year we hear from families where one of the younger children has decided to donate their gifts to the Christmas program, or they'll tell their friends and family, please don't give me anything for my birthday. I'd like to have all these things from the list for the children's home go towards the Christmas program to help other kids. We focus a lot on the Christmas program, but I don't want our listeners to get the idea that the need goes away on December 26. You have programs ongoing that need people and help and volunteers and good work all the way all the way through the year. Absolutely. And we, uh, you know, we we run 52 weeks a year with a variety of the, the other five programs, but it really takes us the whole year to ramp up to meet all the needs for Christmas. So we start December 26th thinking about and strategizing for the next year. But one of the things that I would encourage people to do if they want to learn about what we do or how they can get involved, we've got a great website that really lists out the programs. They can go to www.mainchildrenshome.org and they'll read a lot about us and our programs and how they can help. Well, that's a great way to end because I'm sure you always need people. Rick, we didn't really get a chance to talk about all the other things, the counseling, the adoption, the working with kids, but the Christmas program is great. You do really fabulous work. It's part of what makes Maine, Maine, and particularly this time of year, I know there are families out there and children. They may not even know where it's all coming from, but they know that a difference has been made in their life by Rick and uh, all the great people that work at the Maine Home for Little Wanderers. Again, I had to say that name because I think it's so great. Rick, thanks for the work you're doing, man. All right. Thank you, Senator King. Thank you for joining us. That's been Inside Maine. We're talking about volunteerism, the opportunity to give back. And by giving back, you get back. It means a lot. I always quote the Beatles for philosophy. The love you get is equal to the love you give. And this is an opportunity at this season to give and to provide love and support and help to people in Maine that need it. And year-round, whether it's Meals on Wheels, coaching in the Little League, teaching Sunday school, volunteering at the school to help out the teachers, there are just any number of activities and opportunities. And it's something we can all do to make our state a little bit better one person at a time. Thanks for joining us. That's Inside Maine, and have a great holiday season. See you next year.